Hollywood Romances. Frank Sinatra and Ava Gardner. Written and narrated by Brad Carty. He's widely regarded as the greatest male singer of popular songs since the advent of recorded music. She is widely regarded as one of the most beautiful movie stars in the history of cinema. He was the voice, she was the goddess. By the time they married, she had already had two famous husbands for less than a year each. He still had his first wife and three children, although his countless affairs and one-night stands kept him from seeing them very often. When they finally got together, they both realized they'd found the love of their lives. When their marriage ended after six tumultuous years, they were like two wounded boxers sent back to their corners. Yet over the coming decades, there would be reconciliations and nearly a remarriage. This is the story of Frank Sinatra and Ava Gardner, about which the showbiz gossip columnist Liz Smith said, quote, If I had to go back in Hollywood history and name two people who were most desperately and passionately in love with each other, I would say Frank Sinatra and Ava Gardner were it. He was born across the river from Manhattan in Hoboken, New Jersey, in December 1915. Francis Albert Sinatra was the only child of Italian immigrants Natalina, nicknamed Dolly, and Antonio Martino, nicknamed Marty. Marty Sinatra was a failed boxer who remained illiterate his entire life. Dolly was extremely driven and ambitious, and found work as an interpreter for other Italians who needed to deal with City Hall. She was also a midwife and, when necessary, an abortionist. Her connections to politicians led her to become a ward leader who got out the vote for Democrats. It also led to Marty getting a job as a fireman, with government pay and benefits. The family took in boarders, moved to increasingly better apartments, and was eventually able to purchase a tavern, where young Frank would sometimes belt out a song to entertain the patrons. He was a poor student and a discipline problem. He never completed high school. A series of odd jobs all ended in failure, due to Frank's difficulties taking orders from any authority figure who wasn't his mother. Besides, the boy only had one goal in life, to sing. He spent most of his free time listening to the radio, particularly to his hero, Bing Crosby. He had perfect pitch and was able, along with some classmates, to win a National Radio Amateur Hour contest. The prize was a series of bookings around the country, although young Frank soon decided he was too good for the group and quit in mid-tour. He worked in clubs in New Jersey and had a stroke of luck when trumpeter Harry James heard him one night and hired him to join his big band as their male vocalist. By this time, Frank had married his long-term girlfriend, Nancy Barbado, who lived in nearby Jersey City. Their first child, a daughter also named Nancy, 
was born in 1940. During their early years together, Frank was on the road performing with Harry James, while Nancy continued to live with her family. The James Band was never in the top tier of swing-era groups, and the musicians often went hungry and slept in seedy hotels to save money. Sinatra, already very thin, lost even more weight. In addition, his obsessive need to be clean was aggravated by sleeping in dirty hotel rooms. He showered up to four times a day, changed his shirt and underwear every few hours, and washed his hands so often that the musicians in the band nicknamed him Lady Macbeth. Sinatra recorded some songs with the Harry James Band, including his first hit, All or Nothing at All. This led to him being hired by a much more prominent big band leader, trombonist Tommy Dorsey. During his years touring and recording with the Dorsey Band, Sinatra's voice and breath control improved, and he attracted more and more attention from audiences, particularly from young women. The young singer never denied himself a woman's company when he was away from his wife, and this complete disregard for fidelity would remain constant for the rest of his life. Sinatra left the Tommy Dorsey Band in 1942, convinced that he could become a much bigger star as a solo act. He began a series of performances at the Paramount Theater in New York City that were attended by thousands of young girls who screamed throughout his songs, a phenomenon repeated 20 years later when the Beatles became famous. He began appearing in films as a musical guest and was signed to RKO and later MGM Studios. He co-starred with dancer Gene Kelly in Anchors Away, Take Me Out to the Ball Game, and On the Town, which only increased his fame. By now the father of a son, Frank Jr., Sinatra was living the high life in Hollywood while his family waited for him at home for his rare visits. He avoided service in World War II because the draft board considered him psychiatrically unacceptable although they publicly stated he'd been rejected due to a punctured eardrum. Sinatra, in addition to his obsessive-compulsive disorder, was often severely depressed and took antidepressants for most of his life. On several occasions, he was suicidal, but we'll return to that topic later in the program. While Frank Sinatra was basking in his musical and film success, a young woman from the rural town of Grabtown, North Carolina, was becoming a teenager while living in a house with no electricity, running water, or indoor bathroom. Her father was a tobacco sharecropper, and young Ava Lavinia Gardner would sometimes work with him in the fields. As she grew to womanhood, Ava became exceptionally beautiful with almond-shaped green eyes, perfect cheekbones, and even a dimple in her chin. She had thick chestnut-colored hair and long, shapely legs. When she was 18, she visited a sister who was living in New York City and married to a photographer. The husband took some photos of Ava and put them in the window of his Manhattan studio, where they were spotted by an MGM employee who was walking past. Within weeks, Ava was being offered a contract by MGM, despite having no experience or even interest in acting. 
The studio's head, Louis B. Mayer, exulted when he signed her, quote, she can't act, she can't talk, she's terrific, end quote. Mayer planned to give Ava to his team of acting, dancing, and elocution coaches for a year and make a competent actress out of her. Within weeks of moving to Hollywood, Ava was attracting attention from men on the MGM lot, including from the studio's biggest star, Mickey Rooney. Rooney pursued Ava so relentlessly that she finally agreed to go out with him, even though she wasn't attracted to him. Mickey turned on the charm, Ava slowly warmed to him, and within months he had proposed. Louis B. Mayer was horrified. Rooney was still playing the teenaged Andy Hardy character, and the studio chief didn't want America to discover that his star was actually a hard-living party guy with gambling and womanizing obsessions. Rooney stood his ground, however, and he and Ava married in 1942. They enjoyed married life, but Rooney still wanted to live like a bachelor, which led to fights over money and other women. Said Gardner later in life, quote, Nevertheless, when he was feeling flush or had made a big score at the track, he would try to placate me with nice pieces of jewelry. I remember a beautiful pair of diamond drop earrings. But quite a few of those peace offerings had to go back when the bookies came knocking. End quote. The marriage was over within a year. Ava and Sinatra had met during her time as Mrs. Rooney, with the singer paying her extravagant compliments. But she had heard that Sinatra was keeping his wife and kids stashed in a mansion while he diligently seduced as many MGM actresses as possible and kept her distance. As soon as the ink was dried on her divorce from Mickey Rooney, Ava started being pursued by billionaire Howard Hughes. Ava wasn't attracted to Hughes, but she enjoyed the jewels, furs, and cars he bought her. Nonetheless, she repeatedly rejected his marriage proposals, and Hughes had his minions follow her and spy on her when she went on dates with other men. His jealousy resulted in a fight in which he dislocated her jaw. In retaliation, Ava threw a brass object that hit Howard in the back of the head, requiring hospitalization. This destructive relationship continued for a few years until Ava accepted a proposal from band leader Artie Shaw. Shaw was a pseudo-intellectual who spent most of his time with writers, and he mocked his bride as an uneducated actress who should keep her mouth shut and listen to him and his friends on the chance that she might learn something. He even gave her a reading list, which she worked her way through. Fearful that she was as stupid as her husband claimed, Ava took an IQ test and was shocked when she scored very high. When Shaw hired a Russian chess grandmaster to teach her the game, she started beating Artie, who then stopped playing chess with her. The marriage lasted under a year. By 1948, Frank Sinatra was reaching the end of his MGM contract. Louis B. Mayer was fed up with the singer's demands, refusal to show up for work, and constant womanizing. Mayer was spending a lot of money hushing up Sinatra's bad behavior to avoid negative publicity for the studio. But newspapers were beginning to write more and more about Frank's liaisons with Lana Turner, Marilyn Maxwell, and other starlets, 
while poor Nancy stayed home with their children who seldom saw their daddy. Things got so bad that Nancy, convinced that her marriage was broken beyond repair, had an abortion in 1946. Frank was shaken by this and tried to be a better husband, or at least a more discreet one, and the couple welcomed their third child, Tina, two years later. Meanwhile, Ava Gardner was celebrating her divorce from Artie Shaw by dating actors Howard Duff, Fred McMurray, and Robert Taylor, even though the latter two were married men. She and Sinatra continued to run into each other at parties and on the MGM lot, and she finally agreed to have dinner with him. Another night, they got drunk together, drove to the town of Indio, California, and used two of Sinatra's pistols to shoot out streetlights and store windows. They were arrested, but Sinatra had his press agency send over a man with a suitcase filled with cash, after which they were released without any publicity. Frank and Ava were discovering how much they had in common. A love of drinking and partying, foul language, strong sexual attraction, and a contempt for conventional morality. As one of Sinatra's biographers wrote about Ava, quote, Like Frank, she was infinitely restless and easily bored, end quote. They were jealous of each other's past lovers and of any attention the other got from the opposite sex. They were also very self-centered divas, exploding in rage when they didn't get what they wanted when they wanted. They especially hated to be told what to do by anyone, even, or especially, by each other. Sinatra's warning to everyone he dealt with was, quote, Never tell me to do something. Suggest. End quote. 